this is Charlie Stumbaugh, the lead pastor of Cornerstone Church, Colorado. Thank you for being with us today. Be sure to subscribe for our weekly content to encourage your faith. Let's listen in as Pastor Matt brings the message. Hey friends, welcome to Cornerstone's podcast. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at the idea of unity. Not just the idea of unity, but the importance of unity within the church. Now, I'm the kind of person, I love sports. Um, Any of you that know me know that um, I'm passionate about sports, and, and not just any sports, it's team sports that I love. Um, I have tried team sports in my life. I've played baseball. I've played basketball. I've not been successful at either one. I'm really not good at individual sports, um, though. Um, What I found is that in individual sports, my deficiencies really shine. But, But when I was on a team, a part of team sports, like we were able to find greater success together than what, well, for me at least, than what I could find on my own. And that's one of the things that I really love about Cornerstone as a church. You know, Cornerstone, I believe that we are very team-minded, right? That we're able to find greater success together than what we could ever find on our own. You know, by myself, I could do some things, but in collaboration with the other pastors and staff, with deacons and elders and volunteers, we're able to accomplish greater things. And maybe for you, you would, you know, you would say that um, you love team sports as well, and that maybe team sports are, it's better for you as a whole than trying to do things on your own. And I think that the idea of team sports, it really speaks to the story of humanity, because I believe that we were created to be on a team. God did not create us and then, you know, send us out on our own and tell us to to figure things out by ourselves. I mean, we can even see in Genesis chapter one at the very beginning when God created man, right? When he created Adam, he was like, this guy... Sure, he can do some okay things here, but like on his own, he's not able to do what he could do with a helpmate. And so God created Eve. We were created for community to be a part of a team, and there's no greater team than the church. None of us can reach our respective communities the way that we can as a community of believers. But to achieve the goal that God has set for the church, we need to remember that we are a part of a team. You know, Pastor Charlie always talks about that we bring our side dish to the buffet, but the buffet is not as good as it could be without everyone's contribution. And the church cannot find success when millions of people are believing in and doing a million different things. There must be unity within the church to find a unified success within our communities. And today, as we open chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, we see Paul addressing the importance of unity within the church. I'm starting in verse 1 here, and it says, So, As a prisoner for the Lord, I beg you to live the way God's people should live because he chose you to be 
His. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient and accept each other with love. You are joined together with peace through the Spirit. Do all you can to continue as you are, letting peace hold you together. There is one body and one Spirit, and God chose you to have one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. There is one God and Father of us all who rules over everyone. He works through all of us and in all of us. Verse 7 says, Christ gave each of you or each one of you a special gift. Everyone was received what he wanted to give them. That is why the scripture says he went up to the high or he went up high into the sky. He took prisoners with him and he gave gifts to people. Paul's quoting um, Psalm 68, 18 there. Verse 9 says, when it says he went up, what does it mean? It means that, that he first came down to earth. So Christ came down and he is the same one who went up. He went up above the highest heavens in order to fill everything with himself. And that same Christ gave these gifts to people. He made some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to go and tell the good news and some to care for and teach God's people. Verse 12, Christ gave these gifts to prepare God's holy people for the work of serving to make the body of Christ stronger. This work must continue until we are all joined together in what we believe and in what we know about the Son of God. Our goal is to become like a full-grown man, to look just like Christ and to have all his perfection. Then we will no longer be like babies. We will not be people who are always changing like a ship that the waves carry one way and then another. We will not be influenced by every new teaching or hear from people who are trying to deceive us. Those who make clever plans and use every kind of trick to fool others into following the wrong way. No, we will speak the truth with love and we will grow to be like Christ in every way. He is the head and the whole body depends on him. All the parts of the body are joined are joined and held together with each part doing its own work. This causes the whole body to grow and to be stronger in love. I think the main point that Paul is expressing in these verses is the, import, the importance of unity in the church for finding success within our communities. Without unity, this family is in danger of dismantling. This family is in danger of not achieving the goals that we could achieve together through Christ. And as we continue the work towards unity, there's a couple things that I want to pull out of the scripture this morning that I really want to that I want to hone in on. And the first point is this, there must be unity in practice for us to find success in our communities. 
As Paul opens the fourth chapter of Ephesians, he once again addresses the lifestyle choices required as followers of Christ. We notice a stark difference in tone and principle. Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 focused on the position of the believer. Where they had been was away from God, and now they were near the Father. They once were alone in this life trying to survive, and now they've been adopted into the family of God. They're no longer who they used to be. As we move into chapter 4, we see Paul's focus shift from the position of believer to now the practice of the believer. Now we're looking at our spiritual walk, the responsibility that we carry as believers, where the rubber meets the road. It is important to know and understand, right? It's important for us to know and understand. And now, you know, we're moving from what we know and understand to putting that into practice. How we live our life. As believers, we can achieve more together than what we could separately. We're now a part of a family. And there's importance in the unity that we have, in the unity of how we live out our daily lives. It's the practical application Paul is now turning his gaze to. And he begins by focusing on the practical application of unity within the body of Christ, within the church. And in verse 2, he gives us some simple things in life that we can try to live out. We see in verse 2 that, you know, Paul, he gives a nod to the fruit of the spirits, which we find in Galatians 5, encouraging us that, you know, in this new life that we must, it must revolve around humility and gentleness, around patience and peace and love. I, I like looking at scripture and, and, and seeing it through the eyes of like kind of how it was um, written um, in a timeline. We know that Paul wrote both the book of Ephesians and Galatians. Galatians was written sometime between 40 AD and 50 AD. Some believe it was closer to 60. But nevertheless, we know that Ephesians was written around 62 AD. So as Paul's reflecting on the fruit of the Spirit, he's speaking to the characteristics of God that are known. He's not introducing something new, but rather he's reinforcing a lifestyle that should already be exemplified in the believers. What is interesting to see is that the struggle is still real. Sometimes we look at you know all the issues that are presented within the church or or just in our life today, and we think, man, you know, I've, we've really messed things up somewhere along the way. And while that might be true, our actions do have consequences. Like Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes one verse nine, it says, "There's nothing new under the sun." The struggles are the same. We struggle, or we still struggle, with the influences of our culture and how it impacts our life. Paul says, "No matter the issue, it's imperative, though, that there be unity in the church. It's not about me. It's about we." Right? It's about us as a family. So in these 
in these first few verses, Paul gives us some vital practical applications that we should be working towards in an effort to gain and keep unity within the church. And it starts with humility. Now, in the original Greek word that's used for humility, it carried this derogatory undertone meaning lowliness, referring to people seen as less worthy. Paul redeems this word in his writings, equating humility distinctly with a keystone of Christian value. Pride and arrogance are the enemy of humility. There are they are the enemy of unity. And I think Paul was, I think that he was intentional when he listed humility first. He's not saying it's the greatest character trait that we should have, but without humility, it is hard for us to get past ourselves, especially in a culture that tells, you know, that tells everyone to think of themselves first, that we are being trained and ingrained to look out for number one. But scripture speaks to the contrary. In Proverbs 16, verse 18, we are told that pride succeeds, or pride, excuse me, pride precedes destruction, an arrogant spirit gives way to a hasty fall. The Message Bible translation puts it this way. It says, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Pride and arrogance will kill humility. It will ruin relationships within our personal lives, within our work lives, and within our relationship with God. Instead, we should put others first. Be mindful of someone else's feelings and perspective. We should lead by listening rather than allowing our mouth or our opinion to take charge. We should show gratitude and be thankful for the godly influence and impact others have in our lives. So Paul tells us that humility is an essential part of unity. He continues, he gives us the next essential attribute. He tells us that a gentle spirit is another aspect to unity. In Proverbs 15, verse 1, it gives us a warning about being an uncompassionate person. It says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. We've all seen tempers flare within the church and within our community. We we have seen where our emotions, we allow our emotions to start driving the car, and that when we do that, man, we are headed for a crash. Disaster and destruction are not far away when we choose to be unfriendly people. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says that we must worship Christ as Lord of our life, all, and we should always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. God is not asking us to be pushovers, but he is not asking us to take up arms and resort to violence either. 
I think Paul knew a thing or two about having a disagreeable spirit. When we first read about Paul in Scripture, we find him in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, where it says that back when he was called Saul at the time, that he was a witness to the murder of the deacon Stephen, and he was in favor of Stephen's death. Paul was an advocate against the teachings of Christ and Christianity. In fact, before Christ had his intervention with Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, he had chosen the same career path as those who had murdered Stephen. Paul wanted the high priest to arrest Christians so that he could bring them back to Jerusalem and convict them and ultimately put them to death. He was an agent of the enemy. And he was the very opposite of gentle. So reflecting on his past, Paul understood the necessity of a gentle spirit. That without it, unity was not able to be obtained. As Paul says, we've got to be humble and we have to have a gentle spirit. And Paul, he understood that we must must have these to be able to have patience with each other. Patience is something, it's the third part that he speaks about in the scriptures here. He understands that it's something, you know, that that is required for us to be able to just live life together and to get along. Now, I, I'm I have not always been um good at being pa- being patient. It's something I've struggled with um uh, since I was a teenager. I have definitely not mastered it. Um But it's when my humility and gentleness are lacking that impatience shows up to the party. Humility and a gentle spirit are, they're like two bouncers, right? Standing at the doorway to my heart. And if they're not there, all kinds of trouble can get in. My intentions can be good, but without them, my patience goes out the window. And we must have patience with each other. We read this in Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. Paul tells us to be patient with with each other and to accompany that um, that patience we have to have love and peace as well. I don't believe that patience is something we naturally acquire. It takes practice. It's trial and error. And no matter how patient we We can be with a person or in a situation. If given the opportunity, the enemy is going to try and push our buttons until he finds a weakness to exploit. And a lack of patience is a huge opportunity for the enemy to derail what Christ has asked the church to do. Impatience will damage our witness. Impatience will destroy our relationships. Impatience within the church will drive away those who need the church the most. Without patience, we will never be able to exhibit humility or gentleness. And without humility and a gentle spirit, we will never have patience with each other. None of these exist without the other. And without them, we will never be able to show love or live at peace 
within the church or within any other relationship. These are the beginning steps to having unity in practice. The second point that I want to look at here in these verses is that there must be unity in profession. Now, now, when I use the word profession, I'm not speaking of a career. Paul's not telling us that we have to be unified in our in our career choices, but that we have to be unified in what we believe, in the words that we speak as we honor and glorify God. This idea can throw us for a loop. You know, if we if we were to take a poll, I'm, I would say that there are many of us who would say that we there's a difference in what we believe and. And that's not always a bad thing. We're going to find theological differences in our belief and in our relationship with Christ. We're going to see it played out within our church. Even within our own elder board, there are people from different denominations, from different life experiences, people from different experiences with God. And these, these differences do impact our belief system, but there are core values, cornerstones of our faith that, that set us apart. Cornerstones that we believe in, friends, that identifies us as followers of Christ. Some of the cornerstones that we believe in is that we believe in one true God. Not all roads lead to God and not all belief system leads to one true God, but we believe in one true God. We believe in the triune God, the Trinity, that that there is one God existing in three co-eternal persons. There's the Father, which is God. There's the Son, which is Christ. And there's the Holy Spirit. We believe that all scripture is inspired. It is the inspired word of God. We believe in Jesus Christ, that he's the son of God, that he was born of a virgin. We believe that Christ lived a sin-free life and that he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, offering us salvation. We believe in the gift of the Holy Spirit, that he's active in our lives every single day. And we believe that the church has been set apart to continue the work of Christ within our lifetime. And friends, this list can go on and on. But the thing is that these beliefs, these cornerstones are unwavering. It's what we live by. It's what we profess. It's what we share with other people. And within these boundaries, there are different views, but but as a whole, we must have consistency within our beliefs to honorably represent Christ within our communities. And Paul tells us in Romans 10.10 that belief begins in the heart and leads to a life that's right with God. Confession departs from our lips and brings eternal salvation. We are one body, friends. We are one faith, given one spirit, serving one Lord. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says that we were baptized to become one body through one spirit. A healthy body of believers, a healthy church must be unified in practice and in profession. We have to practice what we preach and we have to live out what we speak. Paul tells us in verse 12 of Ephesians 4, he says that Christ gave these gifts to prepare God's holy people for the work of serving to make the body of Christ stronger. 
Friends, are you practicing what you preach? Does your practice and profession of faith match with who God is? Does our lifestyle reflect and align with who God is? As followers of Christ, as the church, we need to work towards unity in what we do and what we say. This is how we stay unified as believers. This is how we stand apart from the darkness of our world. This is how we shine the light of Jesus in our communities. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today and the encouragement that it is to us that we can know that as a body of believers, we can stand firm in what we believe in and that we can live that out in how we live this life, the lifestyles that we have, the words that we profess, the the story of you impacting our life. God, that we share with everyone else. I pray that these words, Lord, would seep into the bones, the marrow of who we are. That we would ask the question, what life am I living? What is it about Scripture that I am practicing out in my daily lives? What are the words I'm using when I glorify you that I'm professing in my relationship with those around me? God, that... I thank you for this. I pray that this message, Lord, that these words would help us to continue to grow today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, thanks for um, tuning in today to this podcast. I pray that God's peace and his hope would rest in your life as you continue the rest of your day. God bless. Hey, we are so honored that you are with us today. Remember, subscribe to the show and check out our website at cornerstonechurchco.com for more resources.